You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. Today, we're really privileged to have a guest preacher with us, and I've, I'm going to invite him up and introduce him here up on the stage. So this is my friend Ian McConnell. Let's welcome Ian. It's great to have you with us, man. Ian has been with us all weekend long, so uh, Ian's really a great friend. He doesn't just come as a guest speaker who, you know, we just need to fill a slot, uh, but he comes really as a friend. We've known each other since 2006, and uh, we worked very closely together, very closely together, even though he's from Philadelphia and I'm from here. Uh, We've worked very closely together serving uh, for years on the leadership team of Sovereign Grace Churches when we were uh, in Sovereign Grace Churches. We served together, so I've gotten to know Ian over the years. And he came this weekend. The reason he's here uh, is he's a great preacher, which you'll find out very soon. So we're eager to hear the word from him. But beyond bringing a a sermon this morning, he came because he's part of a newer uh, denomination network of churches called uh, Trinity Fellowship Churches, which we've told you about. We've had a couple of meetings about that. Uh, We did a family meeting last night that was just largely Q&A. All he did was answer questions for about an hour and a half. Did a great job. Very helpful, my friend. Um, and so it, he is coming just so that we could ask more questions. That was the purpose of the weekend. So our pastoral team and our wives were able to hang out with him Friday night and his wife, Rachel, as well. So we hung with them and just building our relationship because it's, uh, it's a connectional thing, not just an institutional thing that we're exploring. And uh, then last night, uh, then yesterday, we were able to spend time together. Last night, he was able to come and field questions from the church. So I want you to know, uh, we also recorded a podcast with him yesterday, really to hear his life story a little bit, get to know him better in a personal way. So you'll receive an email this week that'll have the podcast recording, that'll have last night's, if you weren't able to make it uh, to the family meeting, we'll have that. Uh, And then you can go to the website and get today's uh, sermon as well. so I love your passion, Ian. It, one thing I try to, th- when I introduce somebody, think about something that you've had an imprint on my life, uh, and your passion has had a profound imprint on my life. Your passion, he's going to speak on the harvest this morning, your passion for the loss, for church planting uh, has meant so much to me. And what, here's, a, here's a beautiful thing. It's just been a great example to me in so many ways, but here's, here's something I did not think I would see. So he's very, very obnoxiously passionate about Philadelphia sports teams. <laughs> including the Eagles. And so I said, hey, 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 this is a Christian <laughs> gathering. We're one in the Lord. But that, if, if we could be rude, that would be appropriate. So anyway, if I was at your church, I'd have probably been attacked for saying that at least they just booed you. The Philly fans would have beat me up. Uh, so at any rate, so yesterday to test, you, Paul said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. So for the gospel, you adapt appropriately, culturally to the to the culture in. So yesterday we took him to tour the star and he looked at all five of those uh, Lombardi Super Bowl trophies. His team has one, but they were all five of those. But then in, we're, we're singing this morning or right before singing, worshiping the Lord. And he showed me his socks. They're stars. They are the star. They are Dallas Cowboy socks. And I my just, heart for you. my heart for you. And I just said, brother, Come bring God's word. You're one of us this morning. You're one of us. Love you, man. I love you, brother. I love you, dude. Yeah. 
Grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, or like we like to say in Philadelphia, how you doing? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, you got that wrong. When we say how you doing, you don't laugh. Um, you respond by saying how you doing, okay? So let me, let's try it again. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, uh, despite your five Lombardi trophies in R1. Now, it is an absolute joy and privilege to be here with you this morning. It's been a joy and a privilege to be here this weekend. But honestly, if I'm going to talk about the greatest joy and privilege connected to being in this space in this place this morning is, it's been a joy and a privilege for over well over a decade um, to have a deep, meaningful friendship with your lead pastor, Craig Cabanis, um, and also over the years developing a relationship with Rob and Bob and Caleb and Tim. And it's just been, it's such a joy to be in relational proximity and connection with your local church. And there's another really amazing reason why I'm, I'm really grateful to be here with you this morning. And e- even though we are separated by geography, Philadelphia, uh, Frisco, uh, there's something I know about you, and there's something you know about me that's, that's, that's true, and it's deep, and it's meaningful, and it's this. We're family. Because of Jesus, you are my brothers and my sisters. And so from the brothers and sisters at Covenant Community Church in West Philadelphia, we greet you and we are so grateful to be a part of the body of Christ with you. And even though right now we're separated, as I said, by geography, one day there is going to be an amazing family reunion when all of God's people from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation are brought together and we kick off forever with the most amazing marriage wedding party that the world will ever know. And forever we will be in the presence of God together. But this moment, this moment here with you this morning, in in my heart of hearts is truly a foretaste of that future moment. And so thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for this foretaste of forever because of Christ. Would you take your Bible and go to John chapter 4? I'll be reading from John 4, verses 27 to 42 in just a few moments. Uh, Back before, back in the day when I was in graduate school, many, many, many years ago, uh, before finals week got kicked off, a bunch of my buddies and I decided that we were going to take a weekend to just kind of get some R&R before all the heat and pressure and anxiety of finals week took place. And so we had a friend who had a friend who owned a lake house. Isn't it good to have friends like that? Okay. And so we spent a whole day hanging out on this lake in South Carolina, chilling out on the pontoon boat, riding the jet skis, and, and attempting to water ski. Now, attempt is the operative word. I mean, I've always wanted to water ski. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia, the concrete jungle. We don't have a lot of opportunities to do water skiing in my part of the country, but I always wanted to. So here we are out on this lake, and there's a, there's a friend of ours who's, who knows a lot about water skiing, so he's going to teach us how to do it. So he goes first. And you could just tell that he knew what he was doing. He slid those skis on, he jumped in the water, he grabbed the tow rope, and in a matter of seconds, the boat takes off and he's up and gliding on the water, made it look so easy. I mean, he's like doing the one ski in the air, the behind, the back, and then it was my turn. (laughs) Why are you laughing? You don't even know the rest of the story yet. (laughs) I put on the same skis. 
I grabbed the same tow rope. I think I was not having an interdimensional experience. I was in the same body of water. The boat takes off, no dice. I try again and again and again, but I cannot get my six foot four, 200 pound carcass up on top of the water. And so my friend's like, do this, don't do that. And I'm like, (laughs) my wife likes to remind me that she got up her very first attempt. That was 20 years ago, and I've never tried again. Maybe that's how you feel about your missional life. When I say missional life, I'm talking about embracing your identity as a disciple-making disciple. It it involves evangelism, but it's, it's more than evangelism. It's living your whole life on purpose with the gospel, It's certainly introducing people to Jesus who've never begun to follow Jesus, but it also includes helping those who already follow Jesus go more deeply in communion and in mission with Jesus. And maybe spreading the fame of Jesus in all places through your life is something you long for, something you want, but you've never seemed to get that part of your Christian life up off the ground Maybe you've seen others be real agile with sharing the gospel and representing Jesus at work and at home and in the church, but for you, you've just given up. You'll let other Christians do the missional thing. If that's how you feel this morning, I got good news for you. You're not alone, and Jesus wants to help you. Before we get into our section of the text, John 4, 27 to 42, if you're not familiar with this whole story in John 4, it's what's traditionally referred to as Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus and his 12 disciples have just left Judea and are on their way back to Galilee. But in order to get to Galilee from Judea, they have to pass through a section called Samaria. Now, Jews typically had nothing to do with Samaria because there was ongoing religious and racial hostility. But here's Jesus, as he always does in the gospel, walking through these social barriers because they're unjust and because he's the savior of the world. And so when they get to the Samaritan town of Sychar, Jesus is tired and the disciples are hungry. So Jesus finds a place to sit and relax by a town watering well while the disciples head over to In-N-Out to get some burgers. And it's during this time, while the disciples are getting some lunch, that Jesus begins a conversation with a very needy Samaritan woman. I mean, her biography is the stuff of tabloids. Divorced and remarried five times, and she's presently living with her boyfriend. I mean, that stat alone pushes her to the margins of society. I mean, suffice it to say, she's not exactly the first person people are interested in having over for dinner. She's probably the woman that every wife warns her husband, you stay away from her. Her sexual and relational brokenness makes her an outcast. But here's Jesus, sitting next to her alone at a well, telling her things that only God could know, and making her promises that only God could keep. So she comes to this well, a dry, broken, shame-filled soul. But after encountering Jesus, she leaves refreshed, renewed, and a professing disciple of Christ. And not only that, she's eager to go back to her neighborhood and tell everyone about what she encountered with Jesus. 
Before we go any further, let me just say this this morning. If you've come to this place, a dry, weary soul, then I've got good news for you. You can leave today refreshed. You can leave today whole because we are here to encounter the same Christ. It can be well with your soul because of the one who's sitting by this well with this woman. So this is what takes place when the disciples return and and Jesus begins to teach his disciples and by implication begins to teach us how we should long for more and more people like this woman to come into the kingdom of God. And not only that, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to hunger for more and more people like this woman to encounter the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to know, Grace Church of Frisco, that there are individuals like this woman all over your city who are ripe for coming for a drink from the well of God's mercy and entering into the kingdom the everlasting kingdom of the Savior. So with all of that in view, let me direct your attention now to John 4, 27 through 42. Let us hear the word of God. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Now, Jesus is obviously using food in a metaphorical sense. He's saying that just like food gives you energy and just like food brings you satisfaction, Jesus says doing the work 
the Father sent him to do, to bring in a harvest of souls, fills him with a deeper energy and a greater satisfaction. And Jesus is saying this, not only because he wants his disciples to know that he's hungry for the harvest, he says this because he wants all of his disciples, including us, to join him in finding our energy and finding our satisfaction in the food of mission. He's laying out this teaching because he wants all of us to join him in the deeper hunger of wanting to see more and more people come into the everlasting kingdom of God through the good news of the gospel. In other words, my brothers and sisters, Jesus wants you to join him in hungering for the harvest. That is the big idea of the text this morning. Jesus wants you, Frisco Church, to join him in longing for more and more of your neighbors, friends, and family members, co-workers, people like this woman in the text to turn from their sin to the living God. Jesus wants you to join him in finding energy and satisfaction in doing what it takes to bring these, bro- these new brothers and sisters into the everlasting family of God. And if you're like me, you might say, I want that, but I want to want it more. I, I can't say I'm quite hungry for that, to be honest, but I'm hungry to be hungry. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? And so this morning, I think as we read a text like this and we feel the weight of the invitation of Jesus to join him in hunger for the harvest, hungering for the harvest, I I suppose we might ask the question, how can I increase my hunger for the harvest? How can I join Jesus in saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work? Well, that's the question I believe The text answers for us this morning, how do we increase our hunger for the harvest? And as we look at John 4, 27 to 42, I want us to consider that increasing our hunger for the harvest involves at least three activities of the heart. Let me give them to you ahead of time, lest I run out of time and have to rush through the last point, which is typically my modus operandi. First, renewing our affections, verses 27 through 30. Second, reorienting our values, verses 31 through 34. And then finally, recognizing our opportunities, verses 35 through 42. First, if you want your hunger for the harvest to increase, Jesus teaches us here that it involves renewing our affections. This woman has just encountered Jesus. And as we read in the text, her mind is blown away. And here's what captures her heart. Look at verse 28. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now there's obviously some exaggeration here. You've read the text. I've read the text. Maybe you've read this text a million times. Jesus did not tell this woman all that she ever did. He said a lot, but he didn't say that. Why? Because amazement typically leads to exaggeration. I mean, Gandalf said this in the book The Hobbit in recounting the invention of the game of golf to Bilbo. And he says, every good story has its fair share of embellishment, right? She's amazed. She can't believe what she's just encountered. She's amazed that Jesus knew the depths of her heart. Jesus knew her sin-stained past. Jesus knew her moral failures. 
Jesus knew she was seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. Jesus knew the ins and outs of her sin, and he didn't walk away. He didn't reject her. He didn't remove himself from the context. Here she is getting water when no one else is usually there. Why? She's used to people rejecting her. She's used to people pushing her away. But Jesus would not reject her. Jesus would not push her away. What does he do instead? He invites her to the well of his mercy. Jesus invites her not only to take a drink of everlasting water, Jesus invites her to enter into the community of worshipers. He invites her to be a true worshiper of the one true God and receive the ongoing, everlasting experience of God's mercy, love, and grace. Jesus gives her forgiveness and cleansing, and he promises her that he will never, never walk away. You know what this did? This captured her heart in such a way that she couldn't help but want to go back to the village and tell everyone about it. What's the point? The point is this. The more we live in the reality of what Christ has done for us, the more we will want others to encounter Christ also. The more you live in awe and wonder that Jesus sought you when a stranger wandering from the fold of God and he rescued you from danger as he interposed his precious blood, the more you will want others to find in Christ the very same grace. The more you recall that in Christ you have found forgiveness of all your sins, covering of all your shame, deliverance from all your guilt, and acceptance into the forever family of God, the more you'll want others to do the same. The more you are amazed by Jesus, the more you will want others to encounter Jesus. The more you are amazed that you are a blood-washed child of God, the more you'll want your neighbor your coworker, your friend, your family member to come and know the Savior. So, so let me ask you a question this morning. Have you lost your wonder? Have you lost your awe? Have you slowly, over time, gotten over how amazing the grace of God is? Have you forgotten that you once were lost, but now you're found Have you forgotten that you once were under the weight of the judgment of God, but now you've been fully justified by his grace? Have you forgotten that you were once far from God, going away from God, having no right to be near to God, but Christ came and reconciled you to the heart of God, and right now, this very moment, you couldn't be any closer to God positionally than you are because you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Have you forgotten that you've been set free from your slavery to sin? Have you forgotten that you will one day spend forever in the new heavens and new earth? Oh, you think five Lombardi trophies are great? (laughs) One day you will see Jesus face to face. Trust me, that works when you only have one. (laughs) Have you forgotten?
you. Christ knows everything there is to know about you. Every sin, every secret, every skeleton in your closet, and guess what? He's never walked away. My brothers and sisters, the more you are amazed by grace, the more you will want others to encounter that grace. And you will go to your friends and family members and say, come and see a God-man who told me everything there is to know about me, and he hasn't walked away. The more you live in the reality of what Jesus has done for you, the more you will long for others to experience it. Your hunger for the harvest will increase as your affections for Jesus increase. So what's changed? Jesus hasn't. We often do. If you feel this morning that there's been a time in your life where your affections for Jesus were greater than they are at this present moment, then I want to encourage you, take some time with some friends, with your, with your spouse, with, with those maybe in your small group, and just, just have a conversation about what may be contributing to decreased affections for Christ, and, and see where that conversation goes. But regardless of where the conversation goes, I want to commend to you a prayer, a prayer that the Apostle Paul has modeled for us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. After you talk about what may be contributing to a decreased affections for the Savior, I want to ask and encourage you to pray like Paul prayed, that you might be strengthened with God's glorious might by his spirit in your inner being, that you would know what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the length, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding and believe by faith that in those moments of prayer, you will be filled with the fullness of God. Our hunger for the harvest will increase as our affections for Jesus increase. Second, if we want to increase our hunger for the harvest, it will not only involve renewing our affections, notice second, that will also involve reorienting our values. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did someone already get him a burger? They never get it. We never get it. Don't you identify with those guys? Okay, I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> she said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about food food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Well, before we kind of go deep into what Jesus is teaching us here, let's just be real for a moment. Isn't food amazing? I like food, you like food, we like food. Do you want to close in prayer and go to lunch now? Okay, I mean, food is amazing. And let me just give you some props, okay? This is a good food city, okay? A really good food city. I just had some amazing pizza across, across the parking lot from here last night. Oh, wow. Okay. Aaron introduced me to some of the most, the, the most amazing smoked meat on God's green earth right here in Frisco, Texas. This morning I had biscuits and gravy and jalapeno cheddar smoked sausage for breakfast. We don't do that in Philly, okay? (laughs) Food is amazing. You like food, amen? You agree? Okay, good. I mean, if you want to have one of the most amazing culinary experiences, come visit me in Philly. I will introduce you to one of the culinary wonders of the world, the cheesesteak. Okay. Now I was, I was walking around Legacy Hall and it was a really cool place, lots of cool places to eat. And there was this little, this little corner shop that was, was, chilling, that was selling knockoff cheesesteaks. Don't eat them. <laughs> 
if you're the proprietor of that place, we can have a conversation afterwards, okay? Maybe I can help you out, okay? But if you want the real deal, come visit me in Philadelphia, and I will take you to some of the best places on the planet to enjoy the cheesesteak. Food is good. Food satisfies. Food energizes. We enjoy food. So many of our memories and experiences together as friends and family in the body of Christ revolve around enjoying meals at a table. And Jesus says, food is good, but there's something better. There's something better. And what Jesus is doing here is he's letting us know that there's a place where he finds greater energy and greater satisfaction. There was a greater food he valued. And when given the opportunity to choose between one or the other, he will choose the other. What Jesus is doing here is he's letting us in on his value system in a super practical way. More than anything, Jesus values doing the work the Father sent him to do. More than anything, he wants to help broken people enter into the kingdom of God. And when faced with a decision between two good things, Jesus will sacrifice the less valuable for the more valuable. In other words, Jesus was willing to sacrifice a good thing for a better thing. He sacrificed his lunch for the harvest. This is just a small sacrifice compared to the ultimate sacrifice Jesus would make by by willingly allowing himself to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified, dying in the place of sinners on the cross. That is a unique sacrifice that will never be replicated. But here Jesus is giving a picture of a kind of sacrifice he anticipates his disciples walking into, and therefore he anticipates us needing to be willing to walk into as well. Jesus valued sinners, saving sinners more than filling his belly, even though filling his belly wasn't wrong. Jesus valued helping this woman find living water more than drinking physical water. I think it's interesting that if you read the, earlier on the story, Jesus asked for a drink of water. By the time we get to the end of this pericope in John chapter 4, two days later, Jesus still hasn't been given a cup of water. Jesus valued having the opportunity to stick around for two days to teach the Bible and proclaim the gospel in this Samaritan village more than heading back to Galilee, which was his original plan. He changed his schedule. See, Jesus valued mission more than sticking to his schedule and experiencing other good, satisfying things. And so here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is telling us that if we're going to hunger for the harvest, here's what it requires. Ready? Sacrifice. We need to be willing to sacrifice good things for better things so that we will have opportunities to engage with people who desperately need an encounter with Christ. And this happens in super practical ways, and we're faced with these on on almost a regular basis. I mean, just imagine the typical workday. The alarm goes off. You hit the snooze button. The alarm goes back off. You hit this news button again. Or is that just me? Okay, I think, I think three times is like my rhythm, okay? All right, drives my wife crazy, okay? Um, you finally get up. And then because you've taken your liberties with the snooze button, now you're like in a mad, fast pace to grab, your, grab a cup of coffee, choke down a muffin or a bagel, get out the door and make your way to work. You get to work. Things have been rushed, your soul's kind of in a frenzy, and now you're finally looking forward to the lunch hour. Because now you finally have the time to sit down, eat your leftover (laughs) cheesesteak, and finally read a paragraph, not a chapter, of the book that Craig's been recommending for the last year and a half. 
And so you're sitting there at the table, ready for your soul to be encouraged by reading this book and eating your sandwich. And you notice across the lunchroom that one of your coworkers is crying. I mean, they're, you can just tell they may be having the worst day of their lives. In that moment, you have a decision to make. It'd be a good thing to read that paragraph. It'd be a good thing to eat that sandwich. But it just might be a better thing to get up Go across that lunchroom, sit next to your coworker, and say, I'll listen. Or you've got your kids at soccer practice, and you're sitting there on the sideline. Now, let's be honest. There's nothing thrilling about watching five-year-olds all tackle a ball and try to get it in the same direction, okay? So you're not exactly like eyes peeled into the action on the field, but you're there looking at your phone, scrolling through Instagram, looking at pictures of food that you'll never eat, looking at pictures of people you never hang out with, looking at pictures of clothes that you'll never wear or never admit that you'd want to wear. And you look to your left and you look to your right and you see dozens of parents who are doing the same thing. There's nothing wrong with looking at Instagram most of the time. It's not a bad thing, but wouldn't it be a better thing? Those parents need a friend. They need a friend who knows the friend of sinners, who knows Jesus Christ. See, very often when God is giving us opportunities to engage with the harvest field, he, he is calling us to sacrifice good things in order to experience better things. And very oftentimes in life, God is not calling us to sacrifice, well, I'm not going to do that sinful thing. I'm going to evangelize and say, no, very often in life, the decisions between two good things, a better and a best, a good and a better. Jesus says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Notice what motivates Jesus to be willing to make these sacrifices. Notice what fuels his value system. He says, I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus realized that all, even though food is good and drinking is good, he says that there's something better for me to, to, for me to fulfill. I am here as one sent by the Father to bring people into the kingdom of God. Jesus' willingness to sacrifice for the sake of mission was fueled by a sense of responsibility. This is what the Father sent me to do. Jesus' willingness to say no to a good thing in order to say yes to a better thing was driven by the awareness that he was on this earth to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. The same must be true for us. If we're going to be willing to say no to a good thing in order to say yes to a more valuable thing like telling people about Jesus and healing the hurts of the broken, then it's going to need to be fueled by a sense of responsibility. This is what we're here for. We're sent by Jesus for this mission. Later on in this gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Just like the Father sent Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, and by extension, he says to his church, I am sending you. Go. Represent me. Talk about me. Show people how to follow me. Teach them everything I've taught you. I'm going to go with you while you do this, but I'm sending you. Do you know what's true about you? You are just as sent as you are forgiven. 
You're just as sent as you are justified. You are just as sent as you are redeemed. You are just as sent as you are reconciled. It's part of who you are as a disciple of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is sent on mission with the gospel. It's not for a special forces black ops group of evangelistic specialists. You are sent one. You realize this, right? You live where you live. You work where you work. You do life where you do life, not by accident, because the sovereign Lord of the harvest has sent you there. You think you live where you live because you got a good deal in real estate? Oh, that may be the case. But ultimately, the one who is Lord of your life placed you in that home. You think you got that job because of the degree you hold, the experience you have, that may be part of it, but that's not all of it. You're there because Jesus has placed you there. You live where you live. You work where you work. You do life where you do life. You engage with the people you engage with because Jesus has sent you there. And what will motivate you to be willing to make sacrifices of good things for better things is living in the awareness that where I am, Christ has sent me. I am sent to do the will of the Father. I am sent for mission. Notice finally that if our, harvest, our hunger for the harvest is going to increase, it will not only involve renewal of our affections, not only a reorientation of our values, but finally recognizing our opportunities. Look at verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. As Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, he's being approached by a crowd of people who want to find out more about him because of the woman's testimony. Uh, Continuing with the agricultural metaphor, Jesus points out that we have a tendency to always think that harvest opportunities are somewhere down the line. And Jesus says, no, 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 right now, in the present, is the time of harvest. Jesus says the harvest is ready to be reaped right here, right now. And so most scholars believe that this event is taking place somewhere around December because of Jesus saying that you think there's four months until harvest. Harvest time normally began in April. And Jesus says, you think you need to wait four months for the harvest? No, no, no. Right here, right now, there are people who are ripe for entering into the kingdom of God. And so here's the principle Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. It's always harvest time. It's always harvest time. It's always harvest time, not because we are always fully active in mission. It's always harvest time because God is always up to something in people's lives. God is always up to something in the lives of the people all around us. Even before we begin to interact with people, God is at work. There's a, there's a missional myth that I, I often seek to extinguish in the hearts and lives of many church planters that I have the privilege of training. It's this. You're not going to start anything. You're going to join God in the work he's already been up to. Amen. We are not starting anything. I used, to, I used to actually describe church planning, starting things that only God can finish. God had to correct that for me. We don't start a thing. The God of the universe who's operating in the hearts and lives and consciences of men and women all over this globe has put eternity in the hearts of people, and he's already at work through other people, through other circumstances, through other quiet conversations in the soul that people are having with themselves. God is preparing the world to encounter Jesus. And so all around you every day, there are opportunities. 
All around you every day, neighbors, friends, co-workers, family members, strangers, God is preparing you to have an encounter with them that he's been preparing them for all along. Jesus says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. There's already labor going on. There's already work happening. And and what this means, my brothers and sisters, is so encouraging and faith-building. God is already at work, and we have the privilege of joining in that work. He's been sowing into the lives of people for their, throughout their lifetime. And very often we don't realize it until we interact with them and we step back and go, whoa, wait a minute. God was preparing us for this moment. Or am I the only one who's had experiences like that? You have a conversation and you're like, whoa, this is way too weird that we're having this conversation right now and it's going in this direction. I could have never planned this. Well, because you didn't. Someone else has. And he wants to use you to sow and reap in the harvest. And so what this means is two very, very encouraging things about our everyday lives. Number one, God is using us to sow the gospel in people's lives now, and others will reap later. We need to be content with that. That right now, your, your, your words of love in the name of Jesus and your works of love in the name of Jesus may be sowing into the hearts and lives of people that one day, someday, God will use others to reap and see them come into the kingdom of God. See, my friends, it's not about the part we play. It's the fact that we have the privilege of playing a part. Sometimes we're just sowing and someone else will reap. But sometimes we have the opportunity to reap where others have sown. This means there may be people right now in your life that God is preparing for the moment for you to come and have a conversation, to extend to them an invitation to church, to bring them out to to an evangelism course or to an introduction to Christianity. And, And even though this may be your first time you're beginning to have conversations with them about Jesus, they have been prepared and they are ready and they are going to follow Christ. I have a friend at church named Blake. And Blake was at a, a networking event, and he met a, a young woman named Jess. Um, Jess was a air, is an airline attendant, but she was looking at possibly changing her careers. And Blake didn't know why she was thinking about changing her careers. But the real reason why she was planning on changing her career, because she was living a very deeply discontented and discouraging life. So as Blake begins to interact with Jess, he invites her just at the end of the conversation, hey, you know what? You live close by. Won't, won't you come and hang out at our church? Lots of young adults like us at our church. So he invites her out to church. She had no, no expectation that she'd actually come. That next Sunday, she comes. She comes to the church. And at the end of our gathering, when we open up the ministry microphone, someone comes and shares a prophetic word from Galatians chapter 4. By the end of the gathering, she's in tears. God's beginning, God is continuing to do a work in her heart. In that moment, she believed that God was speaking directly to her through that word that was addressing the needs of her soul that no one else knew about. That next week, she came to our small group, our discipleship community that was meeting at one of our homes, and we sat down around a table, and we ate a meal, and she began to speak up about what was going on in her life. The next Sunday, she came back to church again, and I preached a message from Psalm 51 on God's willingness to forgive us in Christ. And there, on that Sunday morning, Jess turned from her sins and put her faith and trust in Jesus. 
It was just a month later that she was baptized and testified to God's grace in her life. And as she shared her testimony, she didn't know what she was doing, but she was encouraging a whole lot of people. She goes, there was the conversation with Blake. And then there was the word that Matt shared. And then it was the meal at the table at Tom and Jackie's house. And it was the message on Sunday. And all of a sudden, it was like God was telling me through all these people and through all these means that I needed to trust in Christ. All that sowing and finally a reaping. I'm sure Blake didn't say, oh man, I wish I was the one that got to see her come to Christ through my direct conversation. Was he, would he be sour because he didn't reap, but he sowed? No, not a chance. He's rejoicing that he had a part to play in the process of seeing one precious soul come to faith in Christ. My brothers and sisters, there are opportunities like this all around you. A conversation, an invitation, an extension of hospitality into your very own home that God wants to use as the means through which he will finally and fully bring someone into the kingdom of God. The opportunities are all around us. Are you hungry? Do you want to see more and more men and women, more and more friends and family members, co-workers and classmates come to know the Christ who has saved your soul? Are you hungry for that? Do you want to hunger more? Do you want to hunger more? Well, Christ has taught us. It will involve renewing your affections, reorienting your values, and recognizing the opportunities that are all around you. Frisco is a harvest field, ripe for reaping. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.